This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Delighted to talk to our next guest. You'll catch him as uh, one of the anchors, of course, at Channel 31 KDVR and then over at Channel 2 KWGN, host of Colorado Sports Night, by the way. Uh, we've had an opportunity to talk to a lot of the, the hosts there and very few Sports Digest-type programs still uh, exist anywhere, and they do a terrific one at Colorado Sports Night. Joining us, Mick Miller, M-Y-C-K Miller is the social handle. Mick, thanks for joining the program. Appreciate you guys having me on. Good to talk to you guys. Yeah, well, we'll, let's start with the Denver Broncos. They play tomorrow. um, If what they've been doing can count as playing. And let let me give you just one number before we start here, knowing that they're going into Kansas City where now they've lost 15 straight games against the Chiefs. The three and out rate on defense, right? Teams that that are basically forcing three and outs. The Denver Broncos are last in the NFL in forcing three and outs, but it's the rate in which they're doing it that's shocking. 18% of drives against the Denver Broncos go three and a half. That's one in five. On many games, that means the Broncos are only forcing a three and out once a game. What in the world can they do to change that against Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and the Chiefs? Well, the simple question is they can do absolutely nothing to stop Kansas City because they have not been able to do it the last 15 times. And really, nobody's been able to stop this Chiefs offense basically since Andy Reid got to Kansas City. I know we like to talk about Patrick Mahomes and his brilliance, and he obviously is on a trajectory of being one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the position. But even when Alex Smith was playing quarterback sure. for Andy Reid, he had a great offense. And you go back to when Andy Reid was in Philly and had Donovan McNabb. He's always had great offenses. And then you pair him with, again, one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen and Patrick Mahomes, the greatest tight end, in my opinion, and Travis Kelsey. And that's a recipe for disaster for the Denver Broncos. I saw a stat today on Twitter, and, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I didn't do my due diligence of research to make sure that this is correct. But Patrick Mahomes has never faced a 32nd-ranked defense in his career in the NFL. Well, he's going to do that tomorrow against the Denver Broncos. So it's a scenario where the Denver Broncos are in a position where – they're most likely not going to stop this offense, which begs the question, is Russell Wilson going to be the quarterback that you brought him in to be? A guy that potentially could win a shootout against Patrick Mahomes. That's remained to be seen. But, yeah, guys, defensively, this is a matchup where I think Isaiah Pacheco is a guy to keep an eye out for because as much as we want to talk about Patrick Mahomes and his lethalness in the pocket, outside the pocket, and making plays, this Bronco defense is terrible stopping the run. So if you're Andy Reid, maybe with a questionable, you know, Travis, Kelsey, what you're going to want to do is just run the ball down the Broncos' throats, and that will be the best scenario for Kansas City to get out of this one, hopefully injury-free on their end. Yeah, and I I think you're talking about maybe some passing early on to get the lead, but I agree with you. I think think they'll run the ball a lot. And uh, the last time they played the Broncos, Mahomes threw it 42 times. I can promise you tomorrow night he will not be throwing the ball as often as that. But you, you are right in sketching out uh, the details on this 15-game losing streak that it started with Alex Smith as the quarterback yep. in November of 2015. Uh, Mahomes played his first this game against Denver, against Denver right? in the last game, which is basically a meaningless game, of the 2017 season. And actually, believe it or not, though the Chiefs did win the game, Mahomes was uh, out of the game for a while in the fourth quarter, and he ended up with statistics that were inferior to those put up that day by Paxton Lynch, believe it or not. Now, the Chiefs won the game, 
and that's what matters. But it was probably Lynch's best game as a starter. Very small sample size, but probably Lynch's best game as a starter. But we were talking about this earlier. The screwy thing about this uh, 15-game losing streak has been that you really can only identify two games where the Broncos could have, should have won out of the 15. Even some of the closer games were blowouts, and there were some garbage time points thrown in that made the game look closer. But uh, other than New England beating the Jets 15 times in a row, in the modern-day NFL, in the same division, one team doesn't beat another 15 times in a row. It just doesn't happen. I mean, this is something that's unprecedented. I mean, when we were looking at the numbers and I was like, okay, 15 times, when was the last time the Broncos won? Well, guys, I was in college the last time that the Broncos beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, Justin Simmons talked about it in the locker room and, you know, year in, year out, you know, it's a different team. They're different players. Well, listen, there's a culture of losing. It doesn't matter if the players are, you know, exchanged each and every year. There's a culture of losing within the Denver Broncos organization that dates back to, ironically, the last time that they won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. That's so right. I don't care right. if the players are interchangeable year in and year out. In that locker room, in the culture of this organization, there is a culture of losing. Meanwhile, over in Kansas City, what Andy Reid has been able to establish with Patrick Mahomes, and like you said, dating back to Alex Smith has been able to establish, is a dominance in this division. And, you know, it's just kind of pathetic and sad just to think about losing to a team 15 times in a row. How many times did people in basketball or baseball in a series say, you know, it's hard to beat a team three times in a row, right? That's always <laughs> a thing that people talk about. Well, yeah. it's really, really, really hard to lose to a team 15 times in a row. It's just kind of ridiculous when you really stop and think about it. But you talk about that culture, and that's a really good point because I, I think it really was put on display when the Chiefs moved on from Tyreek Hill, let him go to Miami, one of the most dangerous receivers in all of football. And the Chiefs go yeah. on and win the whole thing anyway. I mean, you're talking about... Uh, that idea that you come to this this team, this is our standard, this is what we've set, and you become uh, on this roster, and you're expected to perform like the guys before you, even if that you're not that level of player. And for the Broncos, it seems like when you've seen the opposite of that, guys end up playing down a little bit, a level. Sort of, it's almost an understanding that it doesn't really matter what we do. This team isn't going anywhere, and in this rivalry, especially. That feels entirely real. For the Broncos, how do you find a way to shake that funk and at least come out? They're not a better team than the Chiefs. They're not going to beat the Chiefs. But at the same time, come out and look like a team that isn't beaten before the game even starts. Well, you know, I don't want to go back to my seventh grade football and yearn on that experience. Why but not? I had, a, I had a coach, and he said, you know, listen, if you want to win me over, you have to win me over with the small things. Do the small things consistently, and those small things will eventually become big things. So what are some of the small things that the Broncos have to do? I think number one is body language, guys. I'm a big fan of body language. You look at some of the best franchises in the history of sports, whether it's the New England Patriots, the Chicago Bulls, the New York Yankees. You look at these franchises that won. They had one, a great leader, whether it was the Yankees, Derek Jeter, or the Bulls, Michael Jordan, or, you know, the New England Patriots, obviously Tom Brady. You have to have an adult and a leader, not in the coaching staff. It has to be on the team. And he has to be able to control what goes on within the organization. And you have to have good body language. The last game against the New York Jets, when something went wrong, and that something was when Brees Hall broke off for that 70-plus yard touchdown run, 
I just looked at the body language of the Denver Broncos, and I said, it's over. It's done. Because small adversities hit them, and it looks like it's a tidal wave that hits them. So if you're going to go into Kansas City, listen, there's no way that I'm going to pick the Denver Broncos to win tomorrow. However, if you go in there and you're competitive and you have good energy, you have good leadership, and there's good body language, then, okay, then I'll start to believe that you're taking the necessary steps to start building a winning culture. But, guys, we're five games into the season, and Sean Payton and George Payton already felt the need to trade away somebody who was a quote-unquote cancer to the locker room at Randy Gregory. So they haven't shown me anything that there's any winning culture intangibles that are going on, and that's probably one of the reasons that they're one and four, and that's probably why after tomorrow night we'll be talking about 16 straight losses to the Kansas City Chiefs. And a, and a record of one and five. And as much as they deny it, I want to get your view on this. The Broncos are in business to make a deal or deals. Don't you think, in spite of their oh, denials? A thousand percent. And first of all, let me address the denials of not knowing when the trade deadline is. That was a beauty, okay. wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, listen. I used to get grounded all the time when I would tell little fibs and little <laughs> lies, no matter how important or how big they were. So if Sean Payton was having a little fun yesterday and was just telling a little fib, uh, listen, he at the end fun. of the day, at the end of the day, when you're one in four, guess what? You can't tell little fibs and little jokes because right. nobody in Broncos country is laughing. This is not a funny situation. So no, Sean Payton knows when the trade deadline is. Sean Payton knows who's calling, and Sean Payton knows what players he can get rid of and potential to get draft picks. But, yeah, they're 1,000% open for business. How many times this offseason did we see a former member of the New Orleans Saints being signed to the Denver Broncos? Sean Payton is trying to get his guys in the organization. And at 1-4, at he doesn't really have his quote-unquote guys. And this isn't like college football, and this isn't like Coach Prime, where he can just go into the transfer portal and just grab a litany of guys and bring him. He's going to have to trade, he's going to have to draft, and he's going to have to step his culture, which he's trying to do right now. So, yes, they're 1,000% in the open business. I think, you know, this dates back to the offseason when we heard that Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy were potential pieces that they were right. listening to. I think they wanted to give them at least a chance, and in five games in, neither of those guys are living up to their contracts or their potential or the expectations placed on them. Defensively, I know that basically anybody is open for the right price. I know Patrick Sertan is a guy that you kind of want to hold on to. But listen, if you could get a first-round pick for Bradley Chubb last year, I'm pretty sure you can get a much better package for a third-year pro in the league who's considered, if not the best, the top two corner in the National Football League. Yeah, you can probably get multiple picks for him. Yeah, without a doubt. Maybe yeah. not two first, but a first and a second, first and a third, something like that. And, and at that point, and we're, we're talking with McMiller of, of uh, Channel 31 and, and Channel 2, and, and the idea of making all these trades, you know, they are open for business. They are going to make more moves. But where do you where do you stop? Do you take this thing all the way down to the screws? Do you look at a... a, a a guy like Sertan and say, look, he's on a rookie deal. Uh, he is a, a top tier guy. Maybe those are the kind of guys we shouldn't trade. We need that for the rebuild. Or is it worth just taking the whole thing and say, forget it. We're going to take it all down to start it over from scratch again. You know, for me, I think trading a Pat Sertan might 
send the wrong message to the fan base because you have a generational talent, right? Or you have at least a guy who's considered the best at his position. And you can't say that for much many positions on the Denver Broncos. So it would have to be a trade package that would be one of those things that you can't say no to and that the fan base would understand. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of suitors out there because think about the teams that would be buying for Patrick Sertan's services. It's most likely would be a contender. And if they offer you a first-round pick for Patrick Sertan and something else, you have to imagine that if they are a contender, then it's not going to be a top pick in the NFL draft. So I don't think there's a lot of scenarios in which I would want to trade away Patrick Sertan because he is such a young player. But some of these guys that have been here for a while, obviously it hasn't worked. And while you know I hate talking about trades because at the end of the day, these are people at the end of the day who have families who are going to have to uproot their families and move away. But we understand that this is a business at the end of the day. The Denver Broncos desperately need to make good business decisions to set this franchise up in the future because obviously this year is probably going to be a throwaway year. So I think aside from Patrick Sertan, I mean, everybody's up for up for sale. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be a scenario where probably you can't get rid of Russell Wilson because of his contract, despite him actually playing pretty well this season and actually, you know, maybe, maybe giving the NFL teams across the league like, hey, maybe Russell Wilson is back. But aside from Patrick Sertan, I think everybody should be on the trade block and you should be listening to all calls from all 32 teams. You, you touched on it before we even brought it up, and we talked about it a lot during the first hour. What should we make? I'll, this is an open-ended question, but I'll let you run with it. What should we make at this point of Sean Payton? Oh, man, that's a, <laughs> it's a great question, right? I think you can attack it from m- many different avenues. Obviously, from a media standpoint, remember back – in the offseason, there was kind of this quote-unquote media blackout where we weren't going to get as much access. Exactly. And I know people exactly. at home. I know people at home really don't care all that much about the media. But listen, it's kind of what you. It's kind of what Bill Belichick's going through right now in New England, right? He's not very friendly with the media. But when you're winning, there's nothing you can really do. And now they're losing, and now the media's coming after Bill Belichick, right? It's a scenario. Well, yeah, in the sense case. they're saying he's on the hot seat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not on the hot seat, but I'm just saying. No, no, I, I think that's what they're saying, though. And that's, you know, you, you I agree with your point. I, I think a coach can build up a certain amount of goodwill that would carry him if he's won in the past, maybe not forever, but for another year or two. Um, I mean, Peyton's not going to get fired at the end of the year, and maybe Belichick won't be either, but they're not riding a wave of goodwill that they can put in the bank and pull out his savings anytime they want. They, they don't have that. And he, you're right. And I think there's that feeling about him in the building too. People are uncomfortable around him. Yeah. And there've been multiple things, right? We're only five weeks into the season, but how many things can we point to, about Sean Payton that has gone gone sideways. All right, well, he was billed up as a Super Bowl-winning coach in one of the greatest offensive right. times of all time. Well, right. you come in, and the offense has been good, not great. No, not great there's at all. No, there's no Super Bowl vision in sight. All right, well, the media blackout. Why did I bring that up? Because what happened at the end of training camp? He started doing national interviews exactly. where he was saying, if exactly. we're not going to the playoffs, I'm going to be ticked off. Well, guess what? You're not going to the playoffs. Then he says, 
Nathaniel Hackett had the worst coaching job of all time. What happened this past Sunday? Nathaniel Hackett came in, and his offense outperformed Sean Payton's offense, and the Jets won. Right. And now we're having this accountability thing over and over again. And listen, it's just been one thing after the other. And listen, this is one of the reasons that Broncos country is just so fed up, because there is the hope. You go with rookie head coaches, that doesn't work out. You go with older head coaches, it's not working out. You go with a veteran Super Bowl head coach, it's not working out. So Sean Payton is a great, great offensive mind, right? He's Super Bowl champion. But at the end of the day, what he's doing this year is not working. And seven years of misery stalking on top of each other, maybe he would have a little bit more of a rope. But there is no patience in Broncos country, and it just seems week in, week out, whether it's losing by, you know, giving up 70, losing by 50, it's just something that is making the Broncos the laughing stock of the NFL. He is Mick Miller. Of course, you can catch him as one of the anchors over at Fox 31 and host Colorado Sports Night over on Channel 2 KWGN as well. And uh, uh, we talk about, you know, players in sports playing hurt and how important it is to keep doing that. But my man Mick here has been playing hurt i'm seeing him up in boulder working his way through the press box he's been dealing with a bum leg for a while uh how's that how's the pin going well guys listen i am officially retired from all sports maybe maybe i'm making a comeback to play pickleball and golf but yeah in the summer i tore my achilles um we're about two and a half months in uh on recovery physical therapy is going good the boot comes off on sunday but yeah needless to say I did not think that my athletic and my amateur and, you know, pretty bad athletic career would come to an end. But, yeah, you know, I've been trying to link up with Aaron Rodgers and get on whatever, you know, physical therapy he's on because he somehow believes he's going to come back somehow this season. Darkness retreat yeah. first, I think. Yeah, uh, right. The darkness retreat and the mushrooms. Yeah, a little, a, little, a little ayahuasca darkness retreat. Yeah, yeah who knows? Uh, yeah, what could go wrong? Nothing whatsoever. <laughs> Sure. Well, what I do know is, yeah, don't set foot on that field in New York. That's part of the problem. But uh, <laughs> bad year that it is coming along better. Uh, he is Mick Miller. Make sure you give him a follow on social, M-Y-C-K Miller. And uh, we'll catch up with you hopefully later in the season because, as we pointed out before you came on, we had you on to talk Broncos. But um, a couple of good teams start in the next couple of weeks. We can actually talk about them with you, too. Absolutely. I start tonight. Nuggets got a big preseason win last night, and Banner Night is – Less than two weeks away. So while we have been, you know, negative Nancy's today about the Broncos, there is light at the end of the tunnel because we do still have the avalanche and the nuggets. Thank goodness. Most certainly. Thanks, Mick. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mick. Appreciate it, guys. All right. Good to talk to uh, to McMiller there and the idea that, uh, you know, things have to be uh, – for the Denver Broncos, it's tough. You're going to have to get your head right in this game because they're not going to win. But you have to be able to show professionalism and show that you're not beaten. If there were almost 4,000 no-shows for the game this past Sunday in early October, imagine what it's going to be like in December when the New England Patriots come in on Christmas Eve. I I could see 10, 15, 20,000 no-shows, maybe more. I mean, this would be I think borderline the unprecedented. this year will set the no-show record. That's not where you want to be I for sure. I think they will sure. set the no-show record. Uh, well, uh, Mick Miller was talking about body language. I and noticed that. I immediately thought of my friend, Dr. Rick Perea, uh, the foremost performance psychology in America. I've known Dr. P for a decade. He's the best in the business. You get your checkup from the neck up from Dr. Rick Perea. 
every Monday here on Mile High Sports at 5 p.m. He's the former psychologist at the world champion Broncos back in 2015. He worked with the Rockies prior to their going to the playoffs for two straight years. Yes, that actually happened back in 17 and 18. And, of course, he has worked with the world champion Denver Nuggets. Dr. P also helps middle and high school performers to reach peak levels. So whether you're an everyday performer at work, at play, or at school, call Dr. P today at 720-287-0933. That's 720-287-0933. Or look them up at Dr. P at think1number4u.org. That's think1for u.org. Well, the prime effect up in Boulder will be on display up on Friday, but uh, apparently it, it extends beyond Boulder. It extends beyond Colorado. It extends beyond college football. Oh, I'll explain yes. next on My Life Sports. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Starting to look like a real bad year to win 100 games in a season for if you're in baseball. The Baltimore Orioles got trounced. The Atlanta Braves now losing to the Philadelphia Phillies. It's a 1-1 series, but the Phillies are winning 7-2 in the sixth. Uh, The reason I bring that up is interestingly all over social media from the Phillies uh, this morning as the Phillies arrived at the stadium getting ready for their game against the Braves. They highlighted two of their players, one Bryce Harper and one Nick Castellanos, of course, two of the star players for right. the Phillies. Harper, Bryce Harper's one of Harper my was wearing a Coach Prime t-shirt. He was. And Castellanos was wearing a Coach Prime hoodie. Yep. As they walked into the stadium separately. A little cool. Yeah. Back yeah. There. yeah. Brisk back there, October in Philadelphia. So that ends up getting circulated by the Phillies on social media. Well, here's how it's going so far. Castellanos has one home run and Harper has two. So all and they are winning. I assume. Uh, yes. Seven to two. All I'm saying is if uh, the Powerball drawing for over a billion dollars is tonight, if you don't, I guess, have a Coach Prime something, maybe swing by and pick one up before you yeah. buy your ticket because it seems like that's the way for things to go we'll see. Uh, right now. But uh, the Buffs will take on Stanford heavy favorites, 11.5-point favorites in the game over Stanford. And as the Buffaloes expect to play well in this game, start fast in this game. That's really the key. And we'll talk a little bit more about it tomorrow as well. But the, the fast start is what's, or lack thereof, is what's bothering Deion Sanders because really for the last uh, month, they haven't had one. Travis Hunter, now uh, the idea was tremendous chance is what Deion Sanders described it as to play he did. on he Friday. But there has been sort of the rumblings. Shadur Sanders is leading all of FBS football with more than 2,000 yards passing. And the idea that miscellaneous coaches around the Pac-12 may have been indicated that he's sack, a stat padding. I don't know what it is, but everyone looks at someone plays in Colorado and decides they're stat padding. But the idea is that he is taking a sack to protect his completion percentage. And I think, Sandy, there's a little more complicated than that. We talked about this on the break, and, and I want to set you up for a, something that I think people don't really realize. 
I've argued, and I wrote a story actually about uh, some of this today on MyLifeSports.com, wrote about the, the Buffs today. And I think there is part of this notion for the Buffaloes because Deion Sanders has been notable when he talks about Shadur Saxon. He has 30, which leads all of FBS football as well. He has not talked about reducing necessarily the number of sacks or throwing the ball away to reduce the number of sacks. And that, exactly. Yes, and Especially that means the to throw he the ball away. He'd love about, to see less know, hits. He'd love to see less sacks. Right, but he doesn't right. want Shadur to throw it away necessarily. Throw the ball away. He certainly hasn't indicated it. No. And I think that's because knowing the talent, you look at the, Travis Hunter was healthy. You look at the receivers they find. You look at Xavier Weaver. You look at Jimmy Horn. You now look at Marion Miller. Now you look at Javon Antonio. Yeah. Uh, Dylan Edwards out of the backfield. They have weapons that are guys that break the game open. And the Buffs, as they've been exposed, and understandably so, is a team that is not particularly good on either side of the line. Offensive and defensive line are porous. The decision may be that the Buffs have decided we need to generate a few big plays every game in order to win some of these, especially as you get into conference. I was under the belief that this, quite frankly, is a strategy. Not take the sacks, but not necessarily throw the ball away. Stay alive as long as possible in the hope of making a big play. In other words, Russell Wilson's dream offense. But you brought up specifically that there is a corollary for that. It happened right here in the NFL. Well, it, it did, and it happened in the magical Broncos season of 1977 when they acquired Craig Morton, and Craig couldn't move. Shador Sanders can get away, and at times has this year, and been fairly effective as a runner. Ran for a touchdown the other night. Now, you know, it's Arizona State, but still counts. Uh, Craig Morton couldn't move in 1977. By that point in his career, it had been seven or eight years since Craig had really any mobility at all. Uh, he had the name of knees uh, and both were great athletes uh, and, and pretty good baseball players actually. But uh, you know, the, the knee injuries uh, took their toll and the, the Broncos strategy in 1977 was especially on your end of the field. Don't throw the ball up for grabs, avoid interceptions. And Craig did that. He didn't throw a lot of touchdown passes that year but he avoided interceptions, and that was a big part of the Broncos' strategy. Our defense is great. Just don't make them defend short fields. And the Broncos had a huge advantage uh, in turnover rate that year, and they won the championship based on mistakes made by Terry Bradshaw and the Steelers, Ken Stabler and the Raiders, and they didn't beat themselves. And I think part of the thinking up in Boulder is our defense is vulnerable as it is. Let's not put them in bad positions by trying to make heroic plays. And yes, um, he's only thrown what two picks this year should do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe, maybe that would have been four or five and he could have spared himself getting hit seven or eight times, but they made the calculation that they, they don't want, the uh, the picks and they they want that seven to one eight to one touchdown to interception ratio and they want him throwing to people who have a chance to make plays and uh, you know Peyton Manning at the end of his career we all remember would self sack right uh, and uh, you know people kind of made fun of it. But the Broncos went to two Super Bowls. And it was and the same strategy. We're just going to avoid the turnover and avoid exactly injury. Exactly right. Now, and, and the thing with Peyton in, in 2015, 
was that he was throwing interceptions. During the regular season, he threw 17. He threw at least one in every one of the nine games he started that year. But when he came in the second half against the Chargers in the final game with the Broncos trailing, he didn't throw any picks. And I think he threw one in the postseason. One in the three games. So it, he he changed and became even more cautious and would take the sack rather than even throw the ball in the direction of an eligible uh, receiver. You, you don't want grounding penalties. You certainly don't want interceptions. Yes, you don't want your quarterback getting hit as much as Shadur Sanders gets hit, but at the same time, taking a sack is generally better than throwing a pick. <laughs> and, you know, the, the offensive line is going to have to improve um, next year, uh, and it, it can't well be much worse than it's been, particularly with respect to pass blocking. Right. But even in the running game, uh, that they have not been great. Uh, can't fix everything in one year. Uh, Shador Sanders is not Ben Roethlisberger in terms of size, uh, but he's not a no, frail it, no, guy uh, either. It, and he knows, you know, this, this is, remember in he's the offseason there were stories in, yeah. out of Miami that two is taking jujitsu classes mm -hmm. to learn how to fall. Right. So when he did get sacked, he would fall. Uh, maybe Anthony Richardson of the Indianapolis Colts ought to follow up uh, to his notion and take some jujitsu classes and learn how to fall because every time Anthony Richardson falls, he sustains a serious injury. The latest being uh, a shoulder injury that will put him on injured reserve right. now, short-term injured reserve right. so he can come back in four weeks. But it's the Gardner Minshew show for the next six month. weeks. It's the Gardner Minshew show. Uh, and I saw the play got hurt on the other day. And I mean, it, it it looked like an innocent enough and play. Sanders he just takes, fell right on his shoulder. He takes sacks, and Sanders but he hasn't sacks, been taking the monster no, hits. No, he doesn't take big hits. You know, he twists and turns. and But he knows how to, uh, this sounds funny to say, he knows how to take a sack. On the, on the Monday Night Football game. And he stayed healthy. Between the, uh, the Raiders and the Packers. Uh, I watched some of the, the Manning cast with Peyton and, and Eli. And it, they had, uh, their, their guest was uh, Jimmy Kimmel from ABC. And uh, at that point in time, Jordan Love actually got sacked. Yeah, and they, he, Kimmel asked specifically, "It's like you know, what? How much do those sacks hurt?" Peyton immediately replied and said, "Yeah, they all hurt." Eli's response was actually more nuanced. He said, "Uh, he just got tackled. He's like he got yeah. tackled. Jordan Love got tackled there. You're just kind of wrap up when you're going to the ground." He's like, "That's really very different." Than the ones where the guy is a full head of steam and hits you right in the back. And Eli kind of described it. Yeah. Well, Shadur Sanders does take sacks, but he's taking, for the most part, the tackle yeah. sacks. Yes. Not the ones where he's getting absolutely clobbered into the ground. And that's because he is still reasonably mobile. He does seem to have a sense of how. Of what, he has a good pocket presence. Yes, he and he has outstanding timing. Exactly. So this, this is not stat padding. This is a strategy, and it's not a strategy that's unheard of. Craig Morton, in that 1977 season, folks, finished second in the MVP voting, and that's on a team which was renowned for its right. defense. Stat padding can be helpful toward winning. Uh, 
I mean, there's nothing when you're wrong maximizing your stats. with completing a high percentage of your passes. And there's also nothing wrong with avoiding interceptions, right. even though you have a poor offensive line. Because those are more destructive. And out of the, the seven quarterbacks in FBS football that have uh, 16 or more touchdowns, as Sanders is one of them, only two. And then the names you've probably heard of, even as a casual college football fan. Here's the seven. Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix Jr., Sam Hartman, Dylan Gabriel, well, Haynes King, and Shadur Sanders. I, I want to tell the you creme about de la creme. Sam Hartman, in the last game against Louisville, when they got slaughtered, Notre Dame, he'd have been better off taking a few sacks more than he did, maybe. Well, only than two of those quarterbacks have a better touchdown-to-interception no, ratio I'm, than Sanders. I'm, That's I'm, Daniels at 19-2 and, yeah. and Williams at 22-1, yeah, and that one pick coming in Boulder. You know, Hartman had a bad game the other day and you know anybody can have a bad game but you know i i thought he was kind of even with one loss before saturday he was kind of in the mix uh maybe not for the heisman but for for a few honors uh all american honors and so on and he just played so badly against louisville and louisville's a good team Right. It's not a disgrace to lose to him. And, you know, nobody can say Notre Dame plays a soft schedule either. Uh, no. By the way, no, I no. mean, they played at Duke and won. They played um, Ohio State and should have won. And, you know, they lose to Louisville by 13. Hartman has a bad game. But I, I guess what I'm saying is Shadour hasn't had that bad game that's cost them. Now, for three quarters against CSU, I'm not sure he was the best quarterback on the field, but he sure mm-hmm. was in the fourth quarter and, the and in the overtime. Absolutely. Uh, there will be good quarterbacking on display, of course, uh, this weekend too, as we talk about some of those those names. But uh, Penix Jr. Of, of Washington and Bo Nix, who, what of course. What an electrifying uh, offense. They've yeah, played. and we know what Oregon can do. Oregon travels to Washington for a game this week. That's the uh, that's the afternoon Probably game on the game ABC. Of the week. It's yeah, the game, of the, game of the week. I'm really looking forward to that. The Buffs will take on Stanford. That, of course, a national game on ESPN on Friday. But, uh, you know, let's nip that in the bud. Uh, it's it's not what the bus are doing is a it is a trade-off that they are willing to make because they understand they need the big plays and that means there will be negatives with it. it is a trade-off but it is not unusual nor is it even close to all that unprecedented and it's not stat padding it's making a trade-off and taking a calculated risk because you understand because of the weakness of your offensive line you're not going to have long 14 play drives you're just not. And that's what they've decided to do behind Sean Lewis, the offensive coordinator, and Deion Sanders. And they have a very heady, very canny, very savvy quarterback in Shadur Sanders to handle it. Buffs are taking on Stanford, trying to get one game from bowl eligibility. We'll find out. Talk more about that tomorrow as well as that game comes up. We look at it next. Everything lands on Sean Payton now. Is he ready? Because there's only so many more guys you can blame. What happens after Thursday night? We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. 
big week of football starts early. I mean, it starts right up on Thursday, and you get local all, local games the whole weekend. So why bet with the big boys? Instead, try your hand with the local book, Superbook Sports. Superbook is the book next door. Just a team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. I mean, you know, just that. Now, Superbook will even do better than that. They'll give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day using the promo code MILEHIGH. That's easy enough. So bet with the best. Use promo code MILEHIGH this football season with Superbook Sports and visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sandy, I'm going to share with you a theory, just a theory based on observations. If you all remember, you're a scientific model back in high school and college. Russell Wilson has an average time to throw this year of 3.15 seconds. That's the longest in the NFL, 30 seconds. Now, it's not meaning that he's gotten the best protection. It means that's how long he's releasing the ball. Because, as we've seen it, he doesn't have the best protection either. Against the Jets, it was 3.47 seconds. That's the most of any quarterback in the NFL this year. When going over that, all 22 coaches film on Monday, and watching that game, it was evident to me that, one, Russell Wilson didn't actually have that many open receivers to throw to. The receivers were not getting open against the Jets. Two, we just talked about how the Buffalo strategy seems to be take a sack here and there because we're going to risk the big play. We need them. For Russell Wilson, who was already thrown under the bus by his new head coach in the loss to the Raiders and got hollered out on the sidelines last week against the Jets, in both cases, I get it. You're never supposed to fumble. That's what everyone says. But you know what? Fumbles in football do happen. And in both oh, cases, do. and in both cases, Wilson's fumbles, I do not think were egregious. Regardless, if you're Russell Wilson, now you've been called out once publicly. You've been excoriated on the sideline, which everybody saw, and even enough to ask ask Sean Payton about it. Russell Wilson realizes he's the guy that's going to get blamed for the rest of this season when things go wrong. And I believe, Sandy, that Russell Wilson has made the decision that I'm not going to risk throwing interceptions yeah, and further I, I, damage my I, career. I think that's right. and I think it's just that simple. I I, I think the coverage is that you know, my guys I, aren't getting open and I'm not going to risk this, a pick. I, I think he's I, – I don't know how attractive he could possibly be to anybody else at this point. Uh, I, I do think he's largely washed up, but I think he made a determination this year. I'm not going to throw 11 interceptions. And he'll run instead. I'll, I'll run uh, – you know, I'll I'll take the sack. Heck, I'll risk fumbling before I throw the ball down the field. And I, I got from the rather convoluted explanation from Peyton the other day as to what went on. And Peyton's first response was, well, I didn't think it was all, it was all that animated. Well, that wasn't the point. You chewed him out. You clearly chewed him out. We could, uh, we could all see. And we could also see Wilson all but waving him off. Listen, and, listen and briefly and walking. then head off yeah, to the yeah, bench. Right. Yep. Because uh, he's a wary fumble. But, yeah. You know, the, the explanation, well, I, I just wanted to understand what what was there and why, why you know, wanted to run or run that way. Or run. I, 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 I didn't understand what Peyton was talking about, but clearly Wilson didn't see anyone he could throw to. And maybe that there was supposed to have been – uh, a check down on that play. I but, mean, they they weren't that far the, away from field goal. Right? No, and the, by the way, you go look at that. But, but where, then, where was his check down? I, I don't know where it was. So maybe that was the bone of contention that Peyton thought 
he he should have found the checkdown guy, and Wilson didn't think there was a checkdown guy who was open. Um, maybe that was fundamentally the area of the disagreement, but I agree with you. He's only thrown two picks in five games. Uh, so on this pace, he'll cut his interception rate pretty much in half from what it was last year. And I think if you're looking at uh, interception percentage this year, uh, Wilson is in the top 10 in the league, and I believe he is eighth. He is second in touchdown percentage rate, Mm -hmm. which is pretty impressive, but 11 touchdown passes versus two interceptions. Is Russell Wilson conscious of that? I believe he Wilson is. is tied for eighth in interception yeah. percentage, and yeah. uh, and there's only you know. So, but the uh, the funny thing uh, is when when you say eighth, that includes guys that haven't played full. That includes Andy Dalton and Gardner yeah. Minshew yeah, no, and that, guys that have not played as many snaps. I, I, so it's actually I, even a little bit better I, than that. But uh, you know, this is this is a conscious I, move it, to avoid throwing it is, picks. It is, and 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 the problem is that. Uh, you know, he's not a high percentage passer. Uh, even this year, he's 17th at 66.9, which that boy tells you how the game has evolved yeah. now that you complete two thirds of your passes or and a little more than that. And halfway. you're in the lower half of the league in completion percentage. <laughs> but it, it is crazy to me that he is fourth in passer rating at 23rd in QBR. His passer rating this year is 106.2 or 106.7. And his quarterback rating, which is a 1 through 100 measurement, is 45.2. That's below average. Now, it's better than it was last year. It was in the high 30s, I believe, last year. But it isn't that much better this year. And that's because sacks are factored into that completion percentage, uh, the, the nature of the opposition. I, I, I keep saying this, that they, they're one and four. They haven't played a particularly good defense yet. No. I mean, the Jets, the Jets are probably are, the best defensive team the they've, best placed, they've played. Uh, they've faced, but, you know, in DVOA, the Jets are 29th on defense. I'm sorry, 15th on defense. In the middle of the pack, I mean, that's – Maybe a little better than average, right? 15th out of 32 teams. But, you know, it's, again, the Jets are 23rd in DVOA because they're 29th on offense. The fact that they're 15th on defense and second on special teams doesn't really improve their overall DVOA much because they're so bad on offense. And, Certainly in the first half, you would have looked at the Jets the other day and said, that, that isn't a very good defensive team. The Broncos got the ball to the Jet five twice mm-hmm. and couldn't get the ball into the end zone. It is amazing to think about the way efficiency has changed the game because you, you point out you know, Wilson's completion percentage and that that's in the lower half of the league. Lower half of the league. John Elway. John Elway's career completion rate. Would rank him 33rd in the NFL this year. Well, yes. Here's but, the crazy part. But John would have a better percentage if Certainly. we were playing today. His best would have ranked him, the best season ever in 93, would have ranked him 25th. The 
the league has gone, quite frankly, and this is where this season Russell Wilson has fascinated me, this league has gone to a risk-averse passing style. Even guys like Patrick Mahomes, who has some daring do and some swashbuckle in his game, you go look at his career, what the guy doesn't do is throw a lot of picks. He doesn't make the throws that make that, that puts his team in a bad situation. That's what this league is well, now. You know what else this league is? It's a league in which a quarterback who in college completed about 56% of his passes is now the number one completion percentage quarterback in the, in the 70s. NFL. In the 70s. It's Josh Allen. Right. 73.1. Yeah. And what was he at Wyoming? 56% yep. for his career at Wyoming? Yep. Something like that. And one of the Parcells rules on drafting quarterbacks is that if a guy doesn't complete 60% of his passes in, in college, college, why is he going to do it in the pros? He's a major risk. He's probably not going to do it in the pros. And thanks to Brian Dable and his own hard work, and he doesn't have Brian Dable now, and he's well over 70% mm-hmm. at completion rate, and he's number one in the league in completion percentage. Lamar Jackson is at 69.9. Yeah. I mean, this, this efficiency is the game now. That's that what is, it is. That's the game. That's the game. And Josh Allen, uh, who, who did not play particularly well the other day, uh, still, apart from the first game, I think made a conscious decision. We we have a good defense, even though it's been battered <laughs> severely in the last couple of weeks. They've lost uh, Tredavious White, and they've lost Milano mm-hmm. on maybe – a bad field. Yep. Could uh, over be. in London, which the Bills were complaining about after the game there the other day. But in any case, Allen has to play the percentages. And that's what he has largely done since that opening Monday night disaster against the Jets. We'll find out what the Broncos do tomorrow night. It is a fun, it's a fun show today. We get to talk a little bit of Avalanche with Eric Dean. We talk about the Broncos with McMiller. We have a chance to talk about the Nuggets who got their preseason underway. Yep, you you made it. Uh, the sports season starts to really blossom in October, and we're, we're excited to be able to do what we do right here because we get to tackle every team every day, something that Sandy and I have always done our entire careers, and we're certainly not going to stop now. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth for the guy that makes it all work. Always great to uh, have Danny there. It's a confident feeling when we're in here and Danny's in the booth. So thanks to Danny for making everything happen. Thanks to you for listening, whether it was on the FM, the HD, MileHighSports.com, whether you were listening or watching, or the easiest way to do it, just grab the MileHigh Sports app and get everything, including not only all the radio broadcasts and the podcasts and the interviews, but you can catch guys like Eric Dean, or Cody Rourke, or all of our, to Brian Blackburn, all our coverage for all of Colorado sports teams, because that's what we do right here at My Life Sports. We'll be back in just about 22 hours, but there's no reason you have to go. For Sandy, I'm Sean. Keep it right here on My Life Sports. Your name. Are you happy now? Are you happy now? I don't want to know, no, no, no. Who's taking you home, 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 home. I'm loving you so, 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 so. The way I used to love you, no. Know.